0: Tim, thank you. One of my uh, first recollections of Tim, it was, uh, it was some type of a, a men's conference that Harborside was doing. I was real young. I was probably 24, 25, and I sat at a table just like we're sitting at today, and um, during, the, during the speaking, I kept occasionally just looking down to see if my phone was ringing. He's like, put that away. And I said... Do I have to? He's like, yes. And I said, but my wife's going to be going into labor like at any moment. I, I want to make sure that if, if she calls, you know, I'm ready to like leave here. He's like, all right. <laughs> Do you remember that? All right, good. I want to talk to you guys this morning about being a functioning Christian at work. I assume most guys in here, I'm sure there's some that are retired, but most guys here are still involved in some type of work someplace. Some of us work from home. I get to work from home. Yay. It wasn't always that way. Um, but how do, we, how do we live out our faith at work? To, to what level does our faith and our work come together? Um, how do we balance living a faithful life in a secular job? Most of us don't work in ministry, uh, and, and I say that carefully because I think we all work in ministry, but most of us don't have a job working for a church that pays us or working for some sort of a ministry. Um, some of us work in environments that are absolutely fine with people of faith and with, with occasionally uh, talking about things. I'm sure some of you guys may even work at a job where you could have an open Bible study before, after, or you know, heck, maybe even, even during work. But others work in a job that they're not so friendly toward Christianity or maybe any religion. And I think we'd all agree, if, if we've been around for a little while, that uh, in general in the United States and maybe even around the world, it's a lot less friendly to be a Christian than it was 30, 40 years ago. I mean, as I, you know, you think about prayer in school back in the 40s and 50s, that all changing, and you just think about how so many things have changed. And if we look to Europe and see what's, what's maybe coming this way, and hopefully not, they're kind of in a, a post-Christian environment, you know? The churches are empty, and it's, it, you're, you're only a wacky person if you, if you believe in that God stuff. Um, but depending on the, on the stage of your career and those that you work around, your experience can absolutely be very different from somebody else that's inside of this room. It's really helpful to remember that Jesus, as recorded in the scriptures, he had secular work for the first 12 to 15 years of his life. And think about that just for a minute. Why, why is that? So here, here we have the Messiah, here we have God's Son coming to earth, and God could have separated him like Samuel and said, you know, you're going to You're going to be working in the temple. You're going to spend all of your days memorizing scripture and you're going to spend all your time doing these kind of things. But he didn't. And he did that intentionally, I believe, so that Christ would learn what it's like to live in the world and and to have a job like many of us have. Um, The Gospels call him a carpenter. Another good translation would be as a builder. And what's really interesting is if you look at all the parables that he taught, at least half of them have this whole building concept in mind, whether it's um, the builder in two different kind of houses and where it was built, the builder of a tower and what it, would, what it would take to finish that project and you have what it takes. And I think it's so helpful for us to realize that he had some of the same frustrations that we do. He got to work around folks that were God-honoring and he probably worked around a lot of folks that were not God-honoring. Um, there's a, there's a thought that I had for years when I was much younger and maybe some of you guys do too, that secular work and ministry work are two different things. And that if we're in secular work, if we work for the public school system, if we work, you know, in machinery, if we do whatever, if we do insurance, um, that somehow that is not as valued by God as ministry work. Oh man, it would be great, you know what? If I could if I could take the pay cut and go and work for a church or if I could what, you know, whatever, whatever the thought is, that would just be so great to be able to serve God that way. But the issue is that God wants to use you in your secular work to reach a lost world. And you have different opportunities in your secular work that different people that work full-time in ministry don't. The majority of the people that will come through the doors each and every Sunday here already know who Jesus is. They already believe, and, and we're here to praise, and that's, that's fantastic. Sure, there are some unbelievers that come through as well and hopefully become believers. But you, working in secular work, have a great opportunity to, to meet people and to talk with people about your faith. And maybe more than talking, is for them to observe you and observe what kind of person you are and the things that you say, think, and do that make you different and that set you apart and that lead to some of those conversations. Um, A.W. Tozer, in a book called The Pursuit of God, wrote, one of the greatest hindrances to internal peace, which the Christian encounters, is the common habit of dividing our lives into two areas, the sacred and the secular, so that we live a divided life instead of a unified life. Um, when I... When I uh, Graduated college and went to work in broadcast in Detroit and Philadelphia. I really had no frame of reference for that unified life. My life was set up so that I would work during the week, Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, and Sunday I'd go to church. Sunday was my day for religion and for ministry, and then it was back to the work week. And they were two separate things. And I think that's the way that a lot of people live their lives. And and, um, and I'm just saying that that's. I think that's a way that we start out, but we need to grow up and get beyond those infant ways of thinking about it, I guess. Um, there's a gentleman that, that I came in contact with back in the early 90s, and he does the same kind of work that I do now. He's a voiceover talent. He's based, I think, out of uh, Atlanta. And I remember hearing a story about Randy that somebody would send this guy a script, and it had something about... Oh, it either said, oh, my God, or it may have even said, thank God, it's, you know, some things uh, that the the broadcast station was doing. And when he returned the audio back, he wouldn't say that phrase. He wouldn't use God's name in a way that was non-glorifying to God. And as a kid, I thought, boy, that's kind of weird. He's a kook. And now I am that kook. So if, 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 peop, if people will send me work or want me to say something that I think is non-glorifying to God, I, I won't use his name that way. Uh, and and I, I think back, and I got to meet Randy much later, probably 20 or 30 years after that initial encounter, and w- what, a, what a great man this guy is. And that, that early impression that it gave me of, you know, this, this, guy is, this guy is different. Now I thought different in a bad way at that time. Now I think it's different in a great way. But we all have that opportunity to be different than many of the people that we 'll work with not so different like we 're not going to walk around with a big sign like "Ask me how to become a Christian because frankly a whole lot of people don't don 't want to ask you about that they think Christians are wacky and crazy and are judgmental, and in a lot of cases, they're right. A lot of cases, we, we do operate that way, and I say we, not necessarily in terms of the room, but in terms of Christianity in general. We're, we're often known for what we, what we tell people not to do, or you shouldn't do that because of this, and we, we try to judge people, and we, we try to you know, play that, and there's certainly uh, good to be able to identify sins in our own lives, but we're not really to do that in people that are not believers. And that's something that's sometimes lost on us, you know, maybe even in a workplace. And, and that, would be, that would be a way that we would potentially send people away from getting to know God, is by uh, being judgmental of people in the workplace that are not believers. Um, as we mature as Christians, and there's a lot of mature Christians in this room, how do we mix our faith and work today? And I think two words. I think we do it carefully and we do it regularly. Carefully and regularly. It's not just something that we do on on occasion, but it's a way that we choose to live our lives, and that we have a ready answer to give somebody when they ask us, "Why are you the way that you are?" Um, I think it's important that we are a light that draw people to God. That we stand out in certain ways. Again, not not in weird ways necessarily, but that we are different and we're separated from the majority of people that we work with that are non-believers. We should be known for an incredible work ethic. There's a, th- there's a thought sometimes that work is, um, work is not something that you should devote your life to because you, know, you should really devote your life to God. But God invented work. He invented work for us to do to be able to, to live and survive and to be able to bless other people and take care of our families and also to intermingle with different people that are going to give us opportunities to have those conversations with people. We need to stand out in the way that we treat our coworkers. That doesn't mean that we're meek. It doesn't mean that we get walked upon. It doesn't mean that we don't take a stand at certain times. You can still be a very strong Christian, have a great work ethic, and you can still choose to be kind to people. Um, The way that we talk about our families and our friends, I'm sure that there are some of us in the room that will sometimes... Uh, laugh and joke and maybe have some potentially degrading things to say about our spouses or our ex-spouses or, uh, or our kids or, or different people that we have come in contact with. The way that we speak about different people is noticed by a whole lot of folks. And if we truly do want to be mixing ministry and our secular work together, we should be careful about the way that we talk about different people in our lives. Um, read the Gospels and take a look at not just what the early church believed but what they did. Read and take a look and see what they did in the book of Acts and how they treated one another, how they took on each other's burdens, how they supported the sick and the poor, the widows and the orphans. Are you, as a Christian, involved in any of those areas? Do you have a story to tell or to share about some of the things that you've done in those areas? And if not, why not? Those are the things that can draw people to question what's different about you. There, there's something that's different. What is that? And that is the door that's opened up in terms of, well, I'm a believer in God and in his son Jesus. And it's a great, great way to potentially draw people in. It it doesn't need to turn, you know, the first time somebody asks that question, it doesn't need to turn into an hour dissertation and an immediate Bible study but a quick answer can lead to a planted seed that can lead to much more discussion and potentially somebody becoming interested. We should use our language to honor him, and that can be a cue to people that we're believers. Um, I don't know if anybody in the room ever listens to Dave Ramsey, but you know, Dave Ramsey is a finance guy on the radio. And if you just listen casually, occasionally you hear him when somebody says, Hey, Dave, how you doing? And I think it's something like, you know, blessed beyond what I deserve. And just those those little words that you put in from time to time, in different places, can make a huge difference, and can be again a seed planted to show people that you are a believer and invite them to ask some questions. So here's here's a question: Would your coworkers be able to say that you're a Christian, that you're a believer, if there was a, an anonymous survey that went through and you know, hey, we need to identify the Christians in this place? Would you get a yes or would you get a no? Would they know? And and if they don't know then again, I would also ask you why. If you've worked with people for more than a year, if you've worked with people for years and years, they should probably know. They should, they should have an idea. You, it should be part of your life in work, and they should have a great idea that you're a Christian based upon the things that you think, say, and do. Um, one, one other area that I guess I struggled with early on in my career was that if you have a family we should be just as intentional with our time with our family as you are at work. Uh, many times as men, we will put in a really solid day at work, and we'll work 8, nine, ten hours, and then we come home, and we're absolutely exhausted. And the rest of our family, whether it's our wives or whether it's our children, get just the leftovers. And that's something that I think I did poorly in my much early years. I, I think it was probably in my 30s that I finally recognized that you know this is not healthy. I'm, I'm building my own little kingdom here, but part of my family may be suffering, and they were. And there was a book that I read that was so helpful along the way. And if, if it's something that you may struggle with just a little bit, I would really encourage you to pick up a book that's called When Work and Family Collide, Keeping Your Job from Cheating Your Family. It's by a gentleman named Andy Stanley out of uh, Atlanta. And I wish... Somebody would have told me about that book when I was 18, 19, or 20 years old. Instead, it took me until I was in my 30s to discover it. But the, the basic premise of his book is that as a Christian, we are going to have lots and lots of demands on our time, both at work and with family and other interests outside of work. And somebody in that mix has to be cheated. And more often than not, we choose to cheat on our families he makes the the point in the book, and I'd encourage you to read it, that we should really be cheating our jobs. Cheat at your jobs. Still be a great employee, but it's, it's really interesting how he lays that out. I want you guys to imagine just for a minute if you felt confident enough in your faith that you could share it when the time is right with people at work. And what would that look like? And if we knew enough about God's word and his plan to defend our faith when it's under attack, and it will be under attack. It is under attack. It's under attack in America and around the world. It's, it's, not, it's not cool anymore to be a Christian in many places. Here in the South, we're a little protected from that. If you guys uh, had jobs or travel a lot to Silicon Valley or spend a lot of time in the, in the North, in New York, um, we're definitely a minority as a group of believers. Do you know enough to be able to defend your faith if somebody says, wait, 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 you believe in that make-believe, magical, invisible God in that book that's just full of errors? Do you know what to say to that? Do you know enough to to say, which errors are you talking about? To which 99% of the... Well, I don't know. I've just heard there's lots of errors in that thing. And besides, it's changed over the years. How so? Um, Hopefully you do. Hopefully you have enough grounding to be able to say to folks, well, here's what I believe and here's why I believe it. Um, Imagine what it would be like if Christians stuck out at work so much not because we're judgmental and we're pointing and we're identifying everybody's sins in the room, like the Pharisees did, but because we were the most generous people, the most giving people. We were the people that somebody would want to go to when they needed help, when they needed advice, when they needed to work through a really difficult problem and they were having a rough day. We're the people that would be uplifting and full of joy at work. That's something that people desire. If you can live that way at work, You will draw people to you, and hopefully you'll have the answer for why you are that way. That's something that could lead many, many people to embrace God, His family, and become a believer in a resurrected Lord. Um, This past week, I had some folks come and clean some windows on my house. It's a two-story house. I've had a couple friends over the years that either through putting up Christmas lights or doing something else have fallen off ladders, and so I've made it kind of a thing of mine. I'm not going to do high work on the house I really want to have a decent neck, and I don't want to end up in a cast, so I'll gladly pay people to do it. So I paid some folks to come out and clean, uh, I don't know if it was 40 or 50 windows or whatever it was, but trying to sell uh, sell the old house up in Tarpon Springs. Uh, and it reminded me of something that happened about 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I'd hired some folks to come and to clean windows, and it was a, a young couple, I don't, I don't know if it was a couple or if they were just co-workers, but uh, a guy and a gal that were probably in their mid-20s, and... They came to clean windows, and it was going to be a three-day process for them. Um, And through all of that, I learned that they were Scientologists, and they were coming up from Clearwater. And I found them to be hardworking, great people, and I asked lots and lots of questions. Because I'd heard things about Scientology, but you can read things about certain subjects in life, but when you finally make a connection with somebody that is that... That's when you can really become enlightened to what's this about? What, what? So I had so many different questions, and I think, I think they really, really thought, man, here's a guy. Maybe we can bring him in. Maybe, maybe, maybe right? And so I, I think at the time I was in seminary, and so you know, and I, I, have the exact opposite thought. Here's an opportunity. Maybe plant a seed. So day three, I think they're going to be wrapping up. I still have different questions, and I'm intrigued by by what they do. And they're they're part of the Sea Org in Scientology, which is like, that's the upper echelon. That's you devote your life. I think that's you sign the billion-year contract that you'll serve whoever, the, you know, Xenu, the the god of the volcano, and what hydrogen bombs, I don't know, all of it. Um, So I invited them to dinner, and uh, we got through most of the dinner, and... I said, all right, you know, my heart's beating a little faster because I know I'm, I'm going to try to lay out my belief for them and why it's important that I share it. And as carefully as I could, uh, I said, you know, you guys, are, you guys are wonderful people. You guys have done great work. You are clearly wonderful, wonderful human beings. I'm so thankful for all the things that you shared with me and how, how you helped me to understand Scientology and what it is that you believe. I said, I, I would be remiss if I didn't share with you my beliefs and where they come from and, and why... Uh, why it's important for me to share. And I, I told them about Christ. I told them about Jesus as the Savior and how he came to save the world and how he came to save them as well. And it's not through any actions that we do. It's not because we're good. It's not because we're bad. It's because we accept. So I tried to give them the gospel message. And at the end of it, the gentleman spoke up and he said, I, I got I to be honest with you. You are, you are not like any Christian that we have come in contact with. And I thought that was odd, because I, I I didn't think I was anything special in terms of my belief or how I presented things to them. And I said, Well what what do you mean? And he said, Well, we haven't had a whole lot of of interaction with different Christian people, but he said, You remember when Hurricane Katrina happened? I said, Yeah, I remember it real well. I said, All right. We were part of a team that loaded up a semi truck full of food and water and supplies. And we we drove up to New Orleans and uh, we set up a few tents, and we started to hand out food and water to everybody. And he said, we also had some of our other material that would, you know, help help people improve their lives. And he said, "Um, the only Christians that we came in contact with were about three or four people that would come by, look at what we were doing, and scream at us that we were going to hell. One of them threw a Bible at us. He said, so that's... That's our reference for what being a Christian is. And that saddened me so much because the believers that did that and the believers that chose to be judgmental and to point the one finger forward and the three or four back potentially separated these guys from being accepting of our Lord. Because when you think about it, how Jesus came to the earth, Jesus had... He had perfect knowledge of everybody. He knew what was in your heart and in your mind, and your heart and mind and everybody. He knew what everybody was thinking. And if there was anybody that could have said, sinner, 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 I know what you're thinking. You shouldn't do that. I know what you did last night. I know what you did last summer. It was Jesus. But he didn't. He didn't do that. Now, he didn't whitewash everything. He didn't say, you know, hey, everything's fine. I'm, I'm here. I'm your savior. Do whatever you want. I mean, he said, go and sin no more. But too often, I think, as Christians, we can be known for being judgmental, and the experience that those Scientologists had separate people from our true God. So I hope at work, I hope it work, you have certain things that you think, say, and do that slowly and over time plant seeds in people's minds for them to potentially become believers, and to someday have that conversation to invite them into faith, invite them to experience some Christian activities, invite them to a place that's open to people of all types, of all beliefs. And, and I, I just, I hope and pray that that will be something that you'll think about. How do I mix and integrate my faith and my work? Because the fields, oh man, they are ripe. There are so many lost people that we work with. And you, you have been called into ministry to reach those people. Those are the people that you may be the only Christian contact that they have on a a deep level. Sure, they come in contact with all kind of people that are Christians, but you, as somebody that you work with them day in and day out, you spend six, eight hours a day with those folks, you're going to have much, much more influence than somebody that's in full-time ministry that they never meet. Would you guys pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our Savior. Thank you for Christ and all that he did. Thank you for his examples in the New Testament, Lord. Thank you that he became one of us, that he worked in secular work for many, many years, and that we have the recording of the way that he interacted with people, the things that he did, the things that he said. Thank you, Lord, that it's not by anything that we can possibly do but you've already done it for us. Thank you that all we need to do is accept. And now that most or many of us have accepted, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to come up with different ways of putting that into practice, to reach the lost for you so that the kingdom is expanded and you are glorified. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.